You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, good. Well, let's dive into the message. Today we're going to finish our season, or our mini-series called Disruption. Uh, we've been preaching through the book of Mark, and I'm looking for my copy of Mark. Here it is. Uh, we've been, uh, we've had given out a resource uh, like this, and what it is, it's God's Word on one side, and then it's a place for you to take notes, and we encourage you to be doing that. Uh, there were, at first service, we had a few folks with their, uh, with their Gospel of Mark, and I want to encourage you, so next week when you come back, make sure you come back with your copy, and you can follow along. We've been preaching through Mark and kind of line by line, uh, section by section, and we called this section disruption. And really, we've been asking ourselves each week, what are some ways that our lives have been disrupted over the last three months? And there have been a variety of things that we've talked about. Life has been full of disruption in this season. Can I get an amen? I mean, there have been careers that have been disrupted, lifestyles have been disrupted, finances, our overall sense of normal has been disrupted, unless you've been living on a rock before corona. And, uh, but one thing we haven't addressed is what has the church, what is the response, or how has the church been disrupted in this season? And this week, we had a, one of our uh, resources that we use a lot is his name is Kerry Newhoff. He has a podcast and he's got blogs and different things, and he's a leadership uh, church leader. Um, he put out something that talked about what church leaders are thinking in 2020. And I was curious. Now, this is his thoughts, but some of them are certainly. Are you interested in what church leaders, how they've been disrupted, and what they're thinking in 2020? All right, about three of you, so I'll do it for you. All right, okay. I was going to do it anyway, but anyway. But number one, this is what he says, that what church leaders are really thinking in 2020, number one, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Anybody else feel that way? We're not that much difference. And he goes on, he talks about that there's all these different components. There's coronavirus, and then there's the racial reconciliation. Then there's your family stuff, and then there's the church stuff. And he's like, people have said, this is like a marathon. He says, this is not a marathon. This is like a triathlon. You get finished with one section, and then there's something else, and then there's something else. Life has been disrupted. Number two, he says, uh, pastors and lead church leaders are saying in 2020, I'm too tired to address the things I know I'm supposed to fix. Ooh. He says, long-term disruptive trends ha- that are causing decline and stagnation in the church are accelerating rapidly. And if you look at the list of issues to address as a church and things to do as a church, it has arguably never been larger. And so just start thinking like a church leader, and you'll know kind of what we're thinking. Number three, my thoughts and emotions are a total yo-yo, up and down, up and down. That one really resonated with me. I've had some highs. I've had some lows during the season for sure. He says, one of the first casualties when I'm stressed are my emotions. That's Kerry Newhoff. I agree. That certainly describes me. Number four, I'm angry at people for not coming back to church. (laughs) 
And he says, for those of you that have opened, you're probably angry with healthy people, good people who haven't returned yet. And if you're online and watching, that's okay. But, uh, but it, we want you to come back, right? But it says, if you haven't reopened yet, you're probably already mad at the people that, won't, that you think won't return. And that's how church leaders, he says, you know, what do you do about that? He says, you feel that emotion, you pray through it, you vent to a friend, I'm venting to everybody, I guess. And then you move on, right? It's just the reality of life. It is what it is. And uh, for those that are online for real, we do love you and we want you to continue to engage with us. This is an important medium. And uh, he goes on to talk about some other things. Number five, I feel best about myself when the room is full. Now, if you're online, you can't see. We've got the, the rows spread out. Uh, we've got uh, less than normal uh, attendance. We do have the overflow. And I did see some folks go in that direction, so I know there's people in our overflow uh, area, and, uh, but man, when you preach to a, a room that's full, it feels good as a, as a pastor, as a leader, no doubt about it. Number six, this one will resonate with a lot of you too, but it says, I like the convenience of church online more than I want to admit. Ooh. Let's just admit, a one-hour commitment for a church leader compared to a five or six hour commitment, uh, you roll out of bed, you watch uh, pre-recorded service, it, there are some benefits to that. I have enjoyed some of those things. Number seven, I hate the prospect of church online for the future. The idea there is like that the online presence can't go away. That's why we're going to continue to improve it. We're going to work on it, uh, continue to do that. He says, if you're relational, you love ministering to people that you can see, that you can touch and engage with personally. A couple more. I'm not sure that I and my team have the skill set for the next chapter. It's just a real, the, the truth. We're in a tricky season. There are layers of complexity here, uh, no doubt. Number nine, I can't handle any more change. Hey, can I get an amen, right? Our routine, our systems, our, the economy, the culture is all changed. And he goes, can we just go back to normal? I know normal is dead, he says, but I'd really like to go back. <laughs> Anybody resonate with that, right? And then the last thing he says, and this is important, I haven't taken any time to grieve. That's what church leaders are saying because it's been a demanding season. And uh, I have had people... I'm not going to uh, name any names, but, uh, but people come up to me and say, hey, you know, you know why haven't you opened earlier, or why have you, you waited so long, or, or why can't we wait longer? And the, there, it's just there's levels and layers of complexity. We have fasted and prayed. We believe that it's our turn right now to be back live, and so we're glad for you that are here. And for those that are online still, continue until you feel it's safe, and then come back. We, we want you to be here because God is moving in our midst. And, but it talks about character. Uh, Newhoff also referenced a church poll uh, from Church Pulse Weekly. It's a poll of pastors. This is from last week. So this is fresh off the, off the, the charts. 18% of pastors feel competent to lead right now. That means 82% of us, and I'd probably put myself in the 82%, are saying, I don't know how to lead through this season. It has been challenging, and I know many of you have prayed for us, for the staff, and for the board, and we continue to do so as we continue to lead, as we continue to roll this out. And even for the most calm among us, when there is disruption in your life, 
it can freeze your life. Anxiety can slip in during those turbulent circumstances, and it can even affect your walk with the Lord. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I know that it's affected my walk with the Lord. There's been ups and downs there too. And I'm sure that's been the case in many of your lives as well. But we're back here today, and we're glad that you're here. And when you think about things that have been disruptive, um, every week there's something that's, that's going to come. And it, what happens is it starts to play with our minds, doesn't it? And it's interesting today, as we finish the section on disruption, we're going to finish, we're moving into chapter 6 of, chapter, of, Mark, of uh, the Gospel of Mark. And what we're going to see today is that what you believe really matters. What you believe in your mind really matters. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about others, what, but what you believe, in, most importantly, about God, it really matters. And if you go to the other side and you don't believe, the cost of not believing is really high. And today's story is in contrast to the last week's story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood who both believed in Jesus, right? And when they believed in Jesus, they received their healing. Well, today is the opposite. We're going to focus on those that are full of unbelief, and what are the consequences there? Now, we're in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Give you a little background. Jesus and his entourage, they're heading back to Nazareth. That's where Jesus was born and raised. A year earlier in Jesus' ministry, Jesus went to Nazareth, and according to Luke chapter 4, he was rejected. They kind of kicked him out. He left. But this time, in Mark 6, they don't evict Jesus, but they don't take him seriously. They don't believe in him. Their, their hearts were full of belief, of unbelief. You're going to see that. And it's interesting to me that as we conclude this little section today, it marks the second major division uh, in the book of Mark. There, there are several. In the first division, at the end of that, they were rejecting who Jesus was. And essentially, at the end of today, the people are rejecting who Jesus was. And so you'll see a pattern there. Let's look at it. Starting in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says this. He went away from there and came to his hometown. That's Nazareth. Nazareth was an unknown town like Ferrysburg, Michigan. So when you say Ferrysburg, people are like, where's Ferrysburg, right? And you say Grand Haven, Spring Lake. Oh, okay. There we go. And, but way smaller than even Ferrysburg. Most commentators believe about 300 people lived in Nazareth at the time where Jesus was. Was it on church? We aren't sure. Uh, but spiritually disinterested, for sure, they were certainly uninterested in Jesus, and we're going to see that. It says, so he came to his hometown with his disciples. That's about 12 apostles plus a few women. Uh, there was a kind of a group that would follow with Jesus, his disciples, and they followed him. Verse 2, and on the Sabbath... He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They had heard about him, right? And they were saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? See, the word of that, what was happening in Jesus' ministry was, was going forward, and the word was out, and now the people are experiencing it for themselves. And they're saying to themselves, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, which by the way was an insult. They would have said the son of Joseph uh, otherwise. 
and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. So the people in Nazareth, they knew Jesus for 30 years. For 15 of those years, Jesus was a carpenter following the trade of his father, right? And, and so he's working. They knew him. And the bottom line, they couldn't figure Jesus out. They're like, we know him, right? And it should be obvious, like, hmm, that, that's not what he's saying and what he's doing. We know where he went to school, right? It should have been obvious that it was the Lord working through, through Jesus, but they had in their minds, it was made up, that this could not be the Messiah because they knew him. And then it goes into verse 4, and it says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. We see that exact phrasing in Matthew chapter 13, 57 and 58. It follows up. It says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says, and he could not do mighty, uh, no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Say, what's happening? There was a lack of faith, a lack of belief, and we see it kind of come to the head in verse number 6. It says, and he marveled, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Everyone say unbelief. That's going to be today's focus. And it says, and he went among uh, the villages teaching. Church, if you walk away with anything, please walk away with this idea that what you believe matters. Today, we're going to recognize the enemy's plan, especially when life gets turned upside down, when life is disrupted, and how can we overcome? How can we live with true peace and joy and love? How can we live without fear? That's our goal, but we've got to understand that that's our goal, but there's an enemy, Satan, who wants to do just the opposite. And so what does the enemy do? What does evil do? It creates chaos. It creates, he creates stress, creates anxiety. It's interesting that uh, Rachel and the rest of the team this week, uh, as they were preparing for communion, they talked about unity. Well, anxiety, the root word of anxiety is division. And we understand that the enemy, Satan, he does not fight fair, right? It's not a fight of flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle, and it starts in our minds. Satan disrupts our lives. He is the father of lies, right? And he wants you to believe that your best days are over. Your best days are behind you. For those where you're, maybe your marriage is struggling, he wants you to believe that your marriage is over, or maybe those of you that are wanting to get married someday, maybe the enemy, he would love to make you think you will never get married. Or maybe those that have lost some finances in this season, you're saying the, the enemy would say, no, the market will never recover. Or those of you that have kids, your kids will never make it. Or those of you that are sick in some way, an ailment, your sickness will never be healed. It is terminal. Basically what Satan does, he paints a picture in our minds of worst case scenario. Am I right? That's what Satan does. Say, well, how does he do it? Well, he starts with our minds and what we believe. As I was meditating on this, this idea of unbelief and looking at different resources, this week 
I was uh, flying back from Florida with my son Logan. We had spent a couple days down in Florida with my parents and uh, came back for services today. But I was down there and I was listening to a podcast, a secular leadership podcast, and there was a guy named Joe Gordon that wrote a book and he was a guest on this podcast. He's a believer and the book that he wrote is called The Garden. It's actually being released this week, June 30th, so just a couple days a week, a couple days away. And the book is called The Garden and he's talking about this book and it's a spiritual fable of overcoming about how to overcome fear and anxiety and stress. It, was, it really spoke to me, and it really, there were some parallels. He talked about in the book, apparently, he talks about five Ds that you have to wrestle with. The five Ds are doubt, distortion, discouragement, distractions, and division. And as he started to talk about these, I'm thinking these are battles in our mind, what we believe, where our faith is, right? And these five Ds really spoke to my heart, and I was meditating on them, and, and, and I'm, we're, I'm studying about the unbelief of those in Nazareth, and I'm, Jesus was marveling at their unbelief and their lack of faith. Well, how did that start? Well, it starts, number one, with doubt, the number one goal of the enemy. He would love to convince you and your family that God does not exist. He would love for that, that God's not real, or if he is real, that he certainly could not be trusted. And the example we have in Scripture is Adam and Eve, certainly. In the Garden of Eden, he, the serpent came to Eve and said, Did God really say? Satan puts doubt in our mind. And when we're dealing with doubt... That is from the enemy. The second is distortion. Evil distorts the truth. The example in the Garden of Eden is the serpent says, eat this fruit and you will be like God. Joe Gordon, as he's talking about the chapter on distortion in this book, he says, look, what happened is that he was twisting the truth because the reality, just a few scriptures earlier in Genesis, it said that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, right? He was cre they were created in the image of God. And now he's saying, look, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. They already were like God in many ways. And so it really spoke to identity. The third D was discouragement. Satan's plan is to make you discouraged, right? To make you feel like you've lost something, to put your world in a cloud, that it's hazy, you feel tired, or you feel down, and you experience chaos and discouragement. You put coronavirus, there's certainly been uh, opportunities to be discouraged in this season. You add social distancing and racial reconciliation and all the church statistics and what's happening in church life. And, and discouragement is a real reality. But discouragement is from the enemy. And we have to be aware of that. John, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Gordon says, Do not listen to yourself. Talk to yourself instead. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Speak God's word over your life. And uh, I loved that perspective. The fourth D that he talked about was distraction. The enemy would love to get you off your game, to get you to focus in the wrong direction. 
In the Garden of Eden, it, it's like, eat this fruit, you will be like God. So these, they're distracted. They've got all this wonderful beauty, and, and the, but, but here's this one that you can't touch or shouldn't touch. And, and he, the enemy, he loves to sidetrack us. It's the enemy of greatness to be distracted. And it's important that we are not distracted. It's important that we don't slip into old habits, that we get numb and we are distracted and we turn back to drinking or drugs or donuts, whatever your uh, guilty pleasure might be. The idea here is that there's a lack of focus on what's most important. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. The enemy, he will distract us. And then the last thing is division. We talked about that already. The evil would love to create anxiety, to divide. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were separated from perfection because they followed the enemy. The cost was so high. Division can be caused by blaming others, criticizing, divisive conversations, a lack of unity, and all of these things attack the what we believe in our mind. All of these deeds result in unbelief or a lack of faith, doubt, distortion, discouragement, distraction, and division. In church, what you've got to hear today is that what you believe, it really matters. And in this season of disruption, you and I need to be reminded of these realities that Satan is attacking. But when our minds are being attacked, we need to be kind of slapped back to reality and say, okay, we're aware of what's happening. And the truth is, is that our lives, when they, our lives are disrupted, they do, we do not have to lose hope. Our hope can be in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Our hope is on the solid rock Christ Jesus. Our foundation is firm. Amen? And our belief, our faith, is a powerful commodity. What we believe really matters. Faith matters. You can look at it, the history of the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. They believed, and God gave this elderly couple uh, a, a child who became the, they, they became the father of many nations. Joshua believed, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. David believed, right? And he slew the giant. Daniel believed, and the mouth of the lions were shut, right? The woman last week in the New Testament believed Jesus, reached out, touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Faith is powerful. What you believe matters, and we have to put our belief and our trust in Jesus. I'm going to ask Doug to come and to join me here for a moment as we wrap this up. I know we're right at an hour. We're going to go a little longer than we anticipated, but communion was good. Thanks, uh, Pastor Rachel, for leading us through that. In Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24, a little later in Mark's gospel, it says this. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, take up and be thrown into the sea and does not doubt. I've got that highlighted here does not doubt in his heart, but believes. Everyone says believe that he, what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it 
and it will be yours. It's talking about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We could probably quote that. Many of you, you know that verse. But did you know it says right after that, the same verse? For whoever would draw near to God must believe first that he exists. So you put your trust, your faith in a God that we can't see, but you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so it's in the seeking. It's in the presence of God. It's going after everything God has for you that your faith comes alive. But the enemy, he would love just the opposite. He would love to fill you with those five Ds, distraction and doubt. And he would love for you to not believe. Just like Adam and Eve, they walked away, they walked in unbelief, and the entire human race suffered. In Mark chapter 6, the people were full of unbelief in Nazareth, and it cost them. Jesus was unable to do miracles like he typically was. It was due to their unbelief. And I was trying to put it into perspective. When we start caring about, or when we stop caring about the things of God, or it becomes distant, unbelief is creeping in. When you stop caring about the things of God, unbelief is creeping in. So let's think about it. When you stop caring about missions or talking about discipleship or talking about worship or just the fact that we're called to love one another, when we start to fade, those things fade, unbelief is there creeping in. Unbelief will stop the supernatural in our lives. You say, well, why is that? Well, it's the way God has chosen to work. He works through faith. God works and responds to our faith. And faith is simple, church, right? It doesn't take much to believe. When it gets complicated, it's actually a sign of unbelief. When you start to question, unbelief starts to creep in. A lack of faith keeps us from experiencing the goodness of God. And ultimately, unbelief can even send a person eternally to a place far from heaven, to a place of, it's called hell, separation from God. That's not to mention miracles, believing for miracles, believing for signs and wonders. If you don't pray 100% of the time, you're not going to see the healing, God working. The truth is, we should be praying by faith. We pray by faith, and our faith honors God. And I know I want a vibrant, living faith. And I want that for you. And I want for those that are online, that we would have a living, breathing faith. I want to come back to that verse, Hebrews eleven six, one more time as I close. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But then it goes on. It says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I believe our call today in this season of disruption is to reestablish what we believe, to stand firm and to be strong in our core convictions 
yeah, we might feel like we're in a daze. It might feel like we've been defeated. We may be discouraged in some way, distracted. There even may be disunity. But Jesus, when we put our faith in him, he brings us to a place of love and of peace and of joy, a place of no fear. That's what he is offering to us. Church, what you believe really matters. Where is your hope? Is your hope in the Lord? I pray that it is. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the challenge, for the examples in Scripture of great faith. And Lord, as we study and we look at a group of people in Nazareth that were full of unbelief, I pray that it would just scare us almost to the point where we put our full weight, our full trust in Jesus. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would do a mighty, mighty work in and through us in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a long time since we've been together in person. And I just want to just create an opportunity to respond to this message. If your faith has been shaken, if you've experienced some of those D's, doubt and just being distracted and feeling defeated and disunity, you're not alone. Church leaders are experiencing that. That's why we were reading that earlier. Business leaders are experiencing that. Parents are experiencing that with their kids. Young and old alike, it's just been a tough season, no matter how you slice it. It is not a season to turn away. Instead, we should be turning and running to our Heavenly Father and putting our faith, our full faith, our full weight on Him. And this morning, as we just are in the presence of God, if you're here this morning, you're saying, man, I need to put my full faith, my full weight in Jesus today. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? And I'm going to pray for you and close our prayer and close our time in prayer. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of hands. Yeah. Jesus, I just thank you. Yeah. That you won't give us anything more than we can handle, your word says. And Lord, as we consider our faith, our trust, our belief. Lord, we just want to acknowledge that we need you. We need you in this season. Help keep us strong. Help us, Lord, to live in true peace, true joy, true love. Help us not to be people of fear, but, Lord, to be people full of faith because what we believe matters. I pray this in Jesus' name. And as we close, would you just repeat after me, everyone here, say, Dear Heavenly Father, fill me with faith. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray as we go that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.